my privilege to bring the Word of God to you this morning. And if you think you're going to get all the answers for politics for this year, for election, you'll be disappointed. The Apostle Paul was not thinking about the century we live in or the form of government we have, and yet, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he gave us direction for how we relate to government in the good life, the Christian life. This morning we turn to Titus chapter 3, and we read, well, focus on verses 1 and 2, but move into the next sentence, which goes from verse 3 to verse through verse 7 as well. Let me read then first God's word. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy toward all people. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that, being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Paul begins with the word remind. How many reminders do you have in a day? I suspect that many of you this morning were reminded to get up by the sound of an alarm. We go through the day and we have all those reminders. They come up on our phones. They are mentioned to us by parents to children. Remember to get dressed in time. Remember to eat breakfast. Remember to put your shoes on. There are other things that we need to be reminded of because we would rather forget or ignore. Perhaps you're one of those drivers that thinks that the speed limit is a little too slow and once in a while your passenger, your spouse reminds you there is a speed limit here. And you say, oh, yes, there is. Well, the Apostle Paul writes to the church. He writes to Christians, and he gives them a reminder related to rulers and authorities, to government, to structure. And what is it that he reminds them of? What is the context? Well, when we are reminded, it's something that we know and that we now need to think about once again. And so I want to go back to Romans 13, because here is a place where Paul will give more of an explanation, an instruction regarding what government is all about. In Romans 13, beginning at verse 1, Paul explains, Let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. And the authorities that exist, are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority, resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves. 
For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have praise from the same. We see how the Apostle Paul addresses the Christian life, the good life, in relationship to government, to community. This morning, we, we want to look at that and, and do it under three headings, three simple words, all beginning with A, dealing with attitude, actions, and ability. Hopefully, easier to remember, three A's. But we think about Paul as he approaches the, the whole area. He says, remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. And he is dealing with attitude. We know the attitude in others. We can categorize people according to their attitude or their disposition. We can say of somebody, we know that they are grumpy. We know that they are happy. We know that that person is, is quiet. We know that person is quarrelsome. We know that person is thoughtful, and that person is impulsive. We, we think of these attitudes that others have and we have. Sometimes we don't like to look at our own attitudes as much that we develop over time. And Paul is thinking about attitudes. Why is that so important? Because Paul doesn't say, here is the best form of government, a democratic republic, or an oligarchy, or a king. As he calls Christians to live the good life under authority, in community, he wants them to be searching their heart. How do they live out their hope in Jesus Christ? How do they live out being kingdom, uh, kingdom citizens of Jesus' kingdom while they live in the world. And it is attitude that is an orientation, a disposition that affects how we respond, what expectations we have. And sometimes you may ask somebody, what side of the bed did you get up on? Because it just it seems like everything goes wrong for them and they just are difficult. But we develop our expectation and if we allow our circumstances to hit, our attitude can quickly deteriorate. Who of us does not know that? I think of trips in North Carolina that I made to the Department of Motor Vehicles. There was always a long line, and you got to the front of the line, and there was a grumpy person. And then you went through everything, and then they said, oh, by the way, there's a $5 cash charge. And you go, I don't have $5. And they said, well, come back another day. And wait in line and meet another grumpy person and make sure you have your $5. And you kind of go, Rrr. <laughs> uh, I, I, I don't usually do the growling. But you, you understand the, the idea. It, it, and, and, and we can develop an attitude. And, and what a joy. You come down here and signed up for the app and you show up and there's somebody there they smile and they're helpful and you go this is the place to live but but you see how attitude can develop how, how we approach things and this is the apostle paul's concern 
what kind of an attitude does he call Christians to have toward authority? He says, be submissive. Remind them to be submissive to rulers and authorities. This is an attitude, and it is one that is taken upon ourselves. It is not something forced upon us by threat, by coercion, but he calls on Christians to be submissive to authority. And if you think about what we have gone through earlier in teachings on Titus, this is a word that is not unfamiliar. We think in verse 5 of chapter 2, where it is addressing um, wives, be submissive to their own husbands. In verse 9, bond servants are to be submissive to their own masters. Here is an attitude that we find repeated again and again. And so you think, well, this must be important because it sets a tone, a response to others and particularly to those who have authority. And this is not something new that came up with Paul. No, rather, it is something that Jesus himself taught when in Matthew chapter 20, verse 26, who desires to be great among you? Let him be the servant of all. Or we think in Philippians chapter 2, verse 3, esteem others better than yourselves. Here is an attitude. Here is one of submissive. Here is one not saying, I need to be in charge. I know better. But rather one of submission. And this is what Paul calls in response to government. He knows his own heart. He knows the heart of people. This is not something that comes naturally to us. And therefore, Paul calls people, calls Christians to be in subjection, in submission to government. And we might say, well, Paul didn't know the government that I have to live under. Do you know how many rules, how many regulations, how many restrictions? And part of the answer to that is we need to remember this is not Paul's ideas. This is the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, calling us to be submissive. Remember, Paul lived under Roman rule. And it could be capricious. It could be difficult. It could be unfair. Think of Herod when he heard of the birth of a potential rival king commanding the slaughter of all the boys in the area of Bethlehem under two years old. This was a kind of power that could be exercised at the whim of many rulers. And so when we look at our circumstance, our government, in perspective of history, we have many things to be thankful for. We recognize, as the Apostle Paul said, 
rulers are not a terror for good works, but to evil. And this is the same that the Apostle Peter said, as he recognizes in 1 Peter 3, verse 13. Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. See, we begin with our attitude. We begin with our way of relating. And it is one of submission. And yes, are there times when we must say, no, I cannot follow this instruction? God forbids it and I cannot agree to it? The apostles themselves had circumstances like that. When they were commanded not to preach in the name of Jesus Christ, they said we must obey God rather than men. But how many of us are tempted to say, this is where I'm going to begin. I'm ready for a fight. And that's not the attitude that the Apostle Paul calls us to have. It's not fomenting a, re a revolt. It's not angry tirades on social media. And where we must disagree, where we must disobey, because God requires it, even there we do so with a humility. We do so with a gentleness that people might not say, oh, there they go again. They're always troublemakers. They're always looking for a fight. Christians are to have that attitude where there is a humility, not seeking everything for themselves. And that's the focus that Paul gives us. It's an, it's an attitude. It's something that can be applied to every form of government. And it does not matter if it's a monarchy, if it's a republic, if it's a democracy. Whatever it is, this is how we respond. Because we are not defined by our government. We are defined by our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. And there is where we want to be found faithful for the one who will judge us is Jesus, our Savior, and not a governor, a king, or other authority. And so Paul then, with that attitude, having set that forth, be submissive, then he calls for action to flow out of that. And what does he say? He says, be submissive to rulers and authorities, to be obedient. Does that mean even to the speed limit? We say this is, is a blanket statement. We don't begin with exceptions. We begin with a, an attitude of obedience. This is what the Apostle Paul wants for believers. And he goes on to say to be obedient, to be ready for every good work. You see, some people say, well, I'm only going to do what's absolutely necessary. And Paul says, no, we go beyond that, to be ready for every good work. Can I help a neighbor? Can I do something that will serve others, not focused on myself? This is how we begin to relate to each other. This is how we build community. This is how we witness that we are not so concerned about getting everything we can for ourselves. 
but can I do good for you, even if it's going to cost me something? And it's not only specifically interactions, but we, we communicate so much. We do so much with our words. We can do what is right, but we have to. And grumble and complain and backbite. And therefore the Apostle Paul addresses that as well. To speak evil of no one. Notice the scope of that. He doesn't say, speak evil, uh, not to speak evil of those you like or those you just live beside, but of no one. This has come up, has been touched on in previous message, dealing with gossip. How much of it is speaking evil of someone else? And here, there is no exception to speak evil of no one. And another negative, to avoid quarreling. Don't be looking to pick a fight. Don't be looking to correct everyone and say, you're doing it wrong. And instead, so often in Scripture, we put off something and we put on something else. And so rather than to speak evil, what do we do? We show perfect courtesy toward all people. Again, notice the scope with perfect courtesy. Who of us does not need to practice that more? When we become frustrated with others, do we still speak with that perfect courtesy, honoring the person for their position, for the authority that they have been given by God if they are in government? Here again, Paul is challenging the hearts. And then rather than being quarrelsome, to be gentle. Paul no doubt was familiar with, with Proverbs 15. A quiet answer turns away wrath. A quiet answer. A gentleness expressed in our words. We can think of words. That some would say, that them is fighting words. And we know what that means. You know, we're just saying something and, and we're going to get a reaction. We know it, but we're going to make our point. But instead, a gentleness, a quietness that does not demand from others that they agree with us, that they think we are right, but a gentleness. And you see the contrast that comes out of an attitude, an attitude that is informed by our citizenship in a heavenly kingdom. And so Paul does not give a lot of specifics in terms of how do we respond to this government policy or that one, to this ruler or that ruler in specific, but he gives us something that is applicable in every circumstance. And we think again of what Peter said, if you're eager to do what is good, who is there that is going to seek your harm? Now, Peter knows there may be exceptions because people can be wicked. But this is not where we begin. We say, this is what God calls me to, and I can leave the results to him. And, and so often, 
we will see if we are eager to do good. If you are eager to help your neighbor, you see him struggling with something or other, and you say, let me help you. Will your neighbor turn around and curse you, or will they say, you're such a good neighbor. We're glad you're living beside us. We, we see that so often. And it is part of our witness. It is part of the Christian life, of the good life. But we have to not only have that, that attitude, that action, but think also about the ability. Because do we say, I'm going to improve myself? Do I find the ability within myself? And we go on to read in verse 3 and we go, maybe not. Paul, notice, he includes himself in this assessment. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. The human heart is corrupt by nature. It does not seek the good of others naturally, we, we find so often, so naturally, we put ourselves at the center. And so Paul said, does not say, well, improve yourself. Set your aims, set your goals, take a step. No, rather, he points to something else. Something outside of ourselves. Something that changes us, that that changes our attitude. And what is that? The goodness and loving kindness of our God. Our Savior has appeared. He saved us, not because of works which we have done in righteousness, not because we're improving, because we're doing so well, but according to his own mercy. His mercy. Those were foolish, disobedient, led astray by various passions. You say, oh, I want those to be the friends of my children. And God looks down on us. He sees our hearts. And he says, I will make you my friends. There is the grace of God. There is the motivation. There's what forms our attitude. If God has loved me this much, can I not love my neighbor this much when I need to? The difficult person? Can I not show respect to the God-ordained office of government? This official or that official? Even when it seems to me that it's not right or fair, can I still speak with perfect courtesy? You see, there is where the challenge is. Because moralism would say, be good, do good, and you will receive good. But the gospel says, no, you do good because you have received good. You have received grace. It is out of that that it flows, and that has been emphasized time and again in the book of Titus, that we do not want to become moralists. 
just do good because it's right. But be transformed by the power of grace. Of beholding God in his character as one who is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness. This is the God who justifies us, who sanctifies us, and who then calls us to do good. And we need to apply this to our own hearts, not to others, the person sitting beside you across the row, but to think about our own hearts, to begin by thinking, what is the attitude that I have toward government, toward those in authority? Do I resent it? Do I say, well, I only do it because otherwise I'll be in trouble? Or are we able to esteem others better than ourselves? Are we able to express that in our words with courtesy, with gentleness, that reflect the reality that you do not define me? Your rules do not define me, but rather, because I am a child of God, I can reflect his character to all the authority that he has established. Perhaps you are not a Christian here today, and you say, well, the church isn't going to tell me what to do. Nobody's going to tell me what to do. You've probably already found out in life that there's lots of people who will try to use and abuse you that you don't have that full authority. But the thing that we want you to think about is that God does not come and demand. He has come in Jesus. He has come to give, to serve rather than be served. He shows a gentleness, a kindness. Jesus' invitation, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. There is the hope. There is where we find our peace. That we may live in peace. That we may have an attitude of, of graciousness, of kindness, of long-suffering toward others because we have experienced it. Where we can then submit, choosing to do so, because it is faithful to God, because it is a reflection of God, because it is our witness to the world that we have something greater than what we accumulate in this life. And therefore, we can look at government officials, we can look at politics and say, look at the corruption, look at the nepotism, look at all the ways in which there is abuse of power. And yet we are still called by Paul to be obedient, to have that attitude of submission so that we may please God. And when we must stand for what is right that is contrary to government, we do not have to do so with vitriol, with words of anger and rage spewing forth hatred, but we do so speaking the truth in love, that we may have that faithful testimony. 
And so the Apostle Paul does not give us all the answers we might want, who to vote for in the next election, who to vote for city council, but rather he gives us an attitude that we can take to all of life, to our community, to everyone that we interact with, and that we may be faithful in that. Because remember, Titus is writing about, or the book of Titus is written to tell us about the good life. And how might we summarize that? Well, let me give you one suggestion. The good life is a Christian life. It is lived in the grace of God. It is lived out in good works. And it is lived through this life until we are received into glory. This is how the good life is defined. It is lived in the grace of God that transforms us, that gives us a sight of God and who he is. It is lived out in good works as, as we have a heart of compassion for others. And it is lived through this life as long as we are alive until we are received into that eternal kingdom where we will see God face to face. And therefore, there is submission to government, there is an attitude cultivated in the grace of God that we may live and delight in fellowship with others, that we may do good to others, and in so doing we may honor our God and Savior. Amen. Let us pray. O oh Lord, as we come before you, we know that you are the searcher of hearts. Lord, how we must confess that so often we are resentful and resistant to authority that is established, and especially in government where we can so easily justify our attitude of being dismissive or disagreeable. We ask, O oh Lord, that you would work in us to remind us of your grace and truth, that we may live in that and live it out, and that we may do so always in the knowledge and the hope that we have an eternal inheritance through Jesus our Savior. In his name we pray, amen.